So this morning, I'm excited to share the word. Um, this was a rhema word to me again, and we're going to talk about the wilderness, the wilderness. Anybody feel like they've been in a wilderness? Except our wilderness is icy, right, and windy and rigid, frigid. But, um, you know, when we talk about the wilderness, um, we think bad things. Um, but Jesus went to the wilderness. And we're going to look at his wilderness perspective a little differently today. Um, but first, we're going to talk about the defining moment. Because right before Jesus traveled to the wilderness, he had a defining moment that actually was, I believe, the reason for the wilderness. And we'll get into all of that. But a defining moment is a moment when a certain thing happens that changes your life trajectory. So just think about that. We probably have had defining moments in our lives a couple times, right? So I'm thinking while I was studying, what was my true defining moment that I could share with you, right? And I know what it was because I know where I was, I know how I felt, and I know what God said to me. And that's the kind of defining moment that I'm trying to draw out of you. My moment was in downtown Houston. I was a flight attendant, and I was on a layover in downtown. Usually we're by the airport, but this was a longer layover. So I was downtown, and I was sitting there, and, and a flight attendant is only glamorous when you're walking through the airport. Don't let them lie to you. It's not a glamorous occupation. It's lonely, and it's boring. So I'm sitting in this hotel room, and I'm like, what am I going to do? And it's sunny out, and I just needed to hear from the Lord. And Adrian and I had been dated, dating, I think we dated a couple times, I think I lived in, no, I lived here, I don't know where I lived, I was all over the place, but I didn't know for sure if he was the one. And I know this sounds like so childish, but when you've been waiting for 11 years, right, for a Christian man to help raise your children... Yeah, that's not an easy thing. It's not an easy decision. And then when you have people speaking to you, right, you need to hear from the Lord. So I remember getting on my knees in front of that window and saying, God, I need to hear you. And he told me, he said, he is the one. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, all right. That was my defining moment in my life trajectory changed big time, right? I mean, look at this beautiful girl right here. Olivia became mine. Those defining moments change our lives forever. Each of you have a defining moment with the Lord. Each of you. You know where you were. You know what he said to you, right? And if you don't remember, ask him. He'll remind you. He'll remind you, but hold on to that defining moment. Jesus had a defining moment, and that's what we're going to talk about. It was his moment of truth, right? He was 30 years old, and it's really interesting because in Judaism, 30 years old is that age. It's the age where you are now ready for leadership. It's the age where you, you are now worthy of the calling that God has on your life. That's, that's what they believe, you're, you have strength now. You are humble and brokenhearted. The idealism of your 20s has been put to rest, right? Like they're ready. So Jesus at 30, he was drawn to the river 
where his disciple, John the Baptist, was baptizing. He was baptizing a Nazarite called like the prophet Elijah, right? Calling for repentance, calling for a change of heart, calling for that moment of truth in your life where you change the trajectory of your life. And Jesus said, I'm going to be baptized by you. And John was like, no, I can't do that. He said, yes, I have to fulfill this law. I have to fulfill it for them. Let me be baptized by you. And so he did. And it was Jesus's defining moment. In Matthew 3, 16 through 17, we're going to read it. It says, after Jesus was baptized, he came up immediately out of the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he, John, saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him, Jesus. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and delighted. You are lovable. You are good. And it is so good that you exist. That's what Jesus heard from his father that day. That you are lovable. You are good. And it is so good that you exist. This was before Jesus did any miracles. This is before anyone believed in him. Maybe his mom, maybe, sometimes, right? This is before any followers, any disciples. He had not performed one miracle, but God said, I delight in you. I love you. Jesus receives this experiential affirmation from the Father that he is deeply loved for who he is. And this was his defining moment. It was the foundation from which Jesus lived and did ministry. It was the source from which he operated in his call to go to the cross and give up his life for us. His father's love. It became his identity. He knew who he was because of that moment. Obviously, he's the son of God. But as an example, he knew who he was because he heard God say, you are loved, you are lovable, and I am happy that you're here, just like you are. Have we had this defining moment with the Lord? And do we remember when it was? When God declared his love over you, his pleasure that you exist, his declaration of your lovableness. And I know this sounds so simple, but there are so many in here that can tell me, I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know that God loves me like that. God's affirmation to us is that he delights in us. He loves us before we do anything. Before we prove it to him, before we pray for two hours and fast for 21 days, right? All of it. He loves us. And we have to, if Jesus had to, we have to live from this place. If Jesus had to live from that place and fulfill his call to lay down his life, we think we can go without it, right? We have to know how much we are loved and how much we're valued, like Magnolia. 
the pearl, right, of, of great value to her parents, but to the Lord. We have to live from this place. So many of us are just so uncomfortable. It's like the squirmy feelings, right, when we, when we hear that, that we are loved. And why is that? Because we, we have a hard time understanding it, believing it, internalizing it, much less living from it. But I'm going to say this statement, and I really would love for you to even take a picture of this screen. Because your defining moment, that you are a son or a daughter, deeply loved and accepted by your heavenly father, must become the understanding, the starting point, and the source of every calling, every purpose, and every mission that you have in your life. Every single one. You have to start there. Because if you don't start there, you're not living from the right place. You're trying to muster up what you think you have done to deserve this call, right? To deserve this position as mom or dad. The strength that you found by going to school or getting the job or working out really hard. Because we know we still don't deserve it. We know we're still not good enough. The only place is from a place of love and acceptance by our heavenly father. In Matthew 3, 17, I'm gonna read it one more time. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Okay, now I wanna do something, all right? And this is gonna make some of you feel uncomfortable, but Kevin, you're right here. Come on. So Kevin's gonna do this, right? This is Kevin. He's a son loved by the father. And this is what God speaks over him. Kevin, <laughs> you are loved. You are accepted by a heavenly father who is delighted in you and who is pleased with you. Yes, that's who Kevin is. That's who Kevin is. All right, Angie, come on. Thank you. You can stand up right there. <laughs> this is Angie. She is a beautiful daughter, loved by her heavenly father. She is loved. She is lovable. She is accepted. And she is delighted in. Now, everything she does comes from that place. Comes from who she is. <laughs> All right, who's next? Come on, I'm, do, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. This is my last time I get to talk. Everybody's like, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Anthony, can I have you stand up? Do you mind? I won't come over because I don't want to scare Alice. But okay. Anthony, you are a son loved by your heavenly father. And God says, you are lovable. You are accepted. You are delighted in before you've done anything for him, for your kids, for your wife, in your career, just who you are. He loves you. Yes. <laughs> Amen. So every single one of you, if I had time, I would, I would make you stand up and remind you of the place, the source where you live your calling, your mission, and your purpose from. 
Because if we go into our days and we try to accomplish all of these things, without that, we're just spinning our wheels. We're just working really hard. We're just faking it, right? Yeah. So right after this happens, Jesus goes into the wilderness. And this is where the wilderness comes into our message this morning. The wilderness was a gift to Jesus. It was a gift to Jesus. Sometimes we experience this wilderness, and you can give your own words to it, but it's a wall in your life. You hit the wall, right? It's a roadblock. It's a hard place. It's a, maybe even a tragedy. It's a big mess up. But our walls and our wilderness look different, a little different than Jesus did. Jesus didn't do anything to cause it. It wasn't sin for him. And sometimes your wall actually isn't sin either. But it's a hard place. And Jesus is the son of God, obviously, but he shows us how to interact and how to handle the gift of the wilderness. There were many comparisons to Jesus' wilderness as ours what we walk through. He encountered the wilderness as an example for us and taught us how to become secure in our identity as sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. So in Matthew 4, 1 through 2, we're going to see what happened when he was led into the wilderness, right? I've always been so confused by this, by this verse. Look what it says. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, then he became hungry. Now, we see it. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. And then he was tempted by the devil. That doesn't make sense to our minds. We're like, but God, right? Why would you do that? Why would you let us go into the wilderness? Why would you take us and lead us into a place that's hard, that's lonely, that's broken, that's dry, right? That is hard. It's confusing, In James, it says that God doesn't tempt us. And we do believe that, but here the Spirit says that Jesus was led into the wilderness. This tells me that God will allow us to go into the wilderness. He doesn't cause it. He's not clearly not the devil tempting us, but he will allow us to get into these hard places, these difficult moments in life. Why? Because the wilderness is a gift to us. The wilderness is a gift to us. And how is the wilderness a gift to us? Because in the wilderness, there are a few things that we learn. The first thing is we learn how to distinguish voices. In John 10, 27 through 30, it says, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, he is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. The wilderness allows us to distinguish who is speaking to us. In the busy, noisy life, often it's really hard to notice who's saying what, right? I had to get on that floor in that hotel room, quiet as it could be, and wait for God to tell me if I should marry this guy or not. (laughs) 
Doesn't matter what it is. We have to know who we're listening to. Sometimes we can't hear anything. Then what do we do? Get to the wilderness. <laughs> quiet it down, quiet life down. Because oftentimes when we get to the wilderness, when hard things happen, what happens? Time stands still. Right? When those moments of life knock you down, what do you do? You stay down. It's not life is normal anymore. It's like, okay, I'm quiet. Okay, my feet are out from under me. I'm just going to sit here for a minute. And those places are a gift to us because God wants to clearly speak to us and he wants to teach us how to recognize the voice of the enemy in our life as well. He wants to give us direction. He wants to give us guidance. I've known so many busy Christians and leaders who don't have a clue who they are following. You're like, that voice isn't the voice of the Lord. <laughs> and you want to grab them and you want to knock them down and say, hey. <laughs> but you can't do that. That's God's job. He wants to quietly speak to them. We know the devil uses the word of God even. He will use the word of God on you. He will try to confuse you and manipulate you and your feelings and your emotions. We have to be quiet enough to hear the voice of the Lord. So when we're in the wilderness and it's quiet, Jesus was able to clearly identify who was speaking to him. Another thing that's a gift from the wilderness is surrender and intimacy. The wilderness is where God beckons us to come when we have strayed away in relationship with him. It's what gets our attention. It what, it's what tells us, hey, figure out how you're in relationship with me. Let's take time aside. Let's get to know each other again. There's this um, book in the Old Testament, Hosea, if anybody's read it. It's a strange book. Hosea was a prophet and he was actually called by God to marry Gomer. So Gomer was a prostitute. I know. Really crazy. But he did it. And he obeyed God because God was trying to show the nation of Israel how he felt when he was betrayed by his bride, Israel. And Hosea actually lived this out. So the story is fascinating. Read it this week if you want. But there was a moment in Hosea that God was saying, I have a plan in this. And it's in chapter 2, verse 14. And this might be one of my favorite verses now after I read this this week. God bless you. It says, but once she has nothing, but once she has nothing, I'll be able to get through to her. I'll entice her and lead her out into the wilderness where we can be alone. And I'll speak right to her heart and try to win her back. God's love for us. He loves us so much that if we're standing in the middle of a train track and there's a train barreling down and he has to push us out of the way, it's his grace, and it's his love, and it's his mercy. Okay, you fell down, and you got to get stitches in your knee now. Okay. But God, 
is winning us back, right? That's what the wilderness is. It's that place of surrender. It's that place of transformation to live in the identity he gives us. He has to get through to us. Sometimes we have hard heads and hard hearts and busy lives. And God says, the only way, if the only way I can get, win them back, if the only way I can get them back to my heart is to stop them dead in their tracks and to take their face and to tell them, look at me. I want to win them back. God will do it. And it's a gift to us. The wilderness is a drawing and an invitation to go deeper in our transformation and relationship with God, fully known and fully delighted in by God. In our natural perspective, we've talked about is the wilderness is full of loneliness and dryness and spiritual doubt. And all of that is okay. We as Christians should not punish one another for that. Instead, we should... Like God, say, okay, come back. Come back to him. Let's minister to you so that we can show you this is a gift. This is a gift for your surrender and your intimacy with the Lord. The wilderness is a precious, precious time. It's a quiet place to reset and restore our identity and who he says he was. But this was not without testing. And we see Jesus go right into a moment of testing with the enemy. And this is where we're going to talk about for the rest of the message. But even this, even this is a gift. It's a gift to us. And Jesus lived this out and won, got an A plus on every single test to show us, right? To show us how to win this. Testing number one, temptation number one. And I'm going to call this performance. In Matthew 4, 2 through 4, I am what I do. I forgot I put that on there. Performance. I am what I do. It goes together. Matthew 4, 2 through 4. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered, and it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now remember, before Jesus got baptized, he was yet to perform any miracles, right? His performance grade was zero. He hadn't done anything yet. And the devil tempted him to perform his first miracle. Jesus knew who he was the first 30 years of his life, but no one else did. Jesus knew the call of God on his life, but no one else did. He had not done anything to be recognized. What contribution had he made to the world so far? And our culture does the same thing to us. It does the same thing to us. It says, what, what have you achieved? What do you do? Right? That's the number one question when we meet somebody. What do you do? <laughs> How have you demonstrated your usefulness? How have you demonstrated your worth? We consider our worth based on our successes at work, our family, our school, our relationships. We're tempted to find our identity in what we are able to perform and accomplish. And when we don't meet our own culture's expectations, what some of us drive harder, some of us plow faster, right? Over those around us, we just keep going. We're like, I got to work harder. I got to work harder. Us Americans, <laughs> I, gotta, I just got to work longer hours. I got to get another job. I got to do, do, do. I got to perform. And then some of us move inward to shame 
And we're just like, I can't do anything. I'm not good enough. I might as well just stay at home. I might as well crawl under the bed, right? And we have this shame and this depression and we give up and we blame others for our predicaments and we become victims. But all the while, God is calling us his beloved. He's calling us. This is my daughter. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased before they do a thing. And we have to move from shame to love. He is well pleased with us. This is where Jesus chose to find his worth, his esteem, and his affection before he did anything. And this is where we will find ours. God is well pleased with us before we do a single thing. Amen? Temptation two. I am insecure. (laughs) I labeled it here security. In Matthew 4, 5 through 7, when the devil took him along into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, way up high, and he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you, and on their hands they will lift you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, this one is very personal for me. I'm tempted a lot in fear and insecurity. And you're like, huh, really? You don't look insecure? Ask Adrian. (laughs) Because I hide it well, but I deal with insecurity. I deal with, am I going to survive this? (laughs) And my whole body feels it, right? So if you you feel that with me, thank you. We are together. You're not alone. We deal with this sometimes. But Jesus. (laughs) The devil was challenging his belief in what God said about him. And he will do that with us. He will challenge us, our belief in what we know this word says. This scripture that he quoted, the devil quoted to Jesus, it's from Psalms 91. Do you know what Psalms 91 is? It's the protection psalm. It's the security psalm. It's the safety psalm. And listen to this, what it says. It says, you know, it says, he who takes refuge in the most high will be safe in the shadow of the almighty. My shelter, my fortress, I place all my trust in you. The devil is trying to challenge his belief that this is true, but it's not true for you. And that's what he does to us. Oh, you can believe in the Bible all you want, but that's not really for you. Because you're not secure in his love. You can't believe him. He's such a liar. He's such a liar. You can trust that he will protect you. We don't have to make sure. We don't have to test God. We don't have to be worried and anxious about anything. Instead, we can be secure. We can know that he will take care of us because these feelings of insecurity causes anxiety and self-doubt. And it's a horrible place to live with feelings of insecurity and unbelief that God loves and cares for you. But he says, this is my son or daughter. He said, they're mine. This is my son and my daughter. He has declared ownership over you. And that means he will care for you because you are his own. 
Temptation three. I am unloved. And I also put down here, control. Matthew 4, 8 through 10. It says, again, the devil took him along to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, for it is written, you shall not worship the Lord your God and serve him. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Sorry. This temptation is all about our egos. Jesus passed with flying colors, but I'm afraid to say that most of us struggle with them, right? We struggle with our egos. To one degree or another, it may be a preoccupation of what other people think about us or an all-out struggle with anger and rage when we perceive to lose the power and control that we think we deserve. And most of the time, that power and control is there to protect that fearful, broken child, right? Because we've been hurt and we feel unloved. And the devil was tempting Jesus. I have glory to give you. He was feeding into his ego. I can make you feel important. I can make you feel loved. Just worship me. And all of a sudden now, we're exalting our ego above the Father's love for us. And it never ends right. (laughs) Never ends well. The core belief here is that you are not loved or lovable and that you are not good. That we need to produce glory for ourselves so that we can be proud of ourselves and like ourselves. What Jesus knew was that he was here for God's glory and that he was loved and lovable because of his father's love for him and that he would go to the cross before we even loved him. His father's love for him allowed him to go to the cross before we even loved him. And he knew what total self-sacrifice was. And he invites us to live in this freedom as well. That's freedom. When you can lay your love down for somebody and they don't have to love you back. Now, think about that. How good does that feel? How good does that feel when you can walk away? I bless you. I love you. I care for you. I'm praying for you, right? Because God's love is holding you up. God's love is protecting you. And then what happened at the end? Matthew 4.11, it says, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to serve him. So we see this story, this beautiful story that Jesus showed us with a powerful gift of the wilderness and the temptations to live a life outside of who we are in the Father's love. You know, this week was a little emotional for me because I'm going to be here till the 4th, but this is my last time speaking. So I thought, what am I going to leave with this family that I love? And I believe that this is the most important message I could ever speak to, to anyone is to remember your defining moment daily, to live from a place of being loved and lovable, knowing that the Father calls you good. 
He calls you good. And we know we're not, but we have this thing called the precious blood of Jesus that's covering us. And he sees us and he says, you are good. You are accepted and he delights in you. So before you are a wife, before you are a husband, before you are a mother, before you are a father, before you are a manager, a creator, a teacher, a doctor, find your way to the wilderness or remember that moment that you had in the wilderness and be reminded that you are a new creation and you are deeply loved. You're a child of the Heavenly Father. And I want to read this scripture verse one more time in Hosea 2.14. This scripture verse is so good. But once she has nothing, I'll be able to get through to her. I'll entice her and lead her out into the wilderness where we can be alone. And I'll speak right to her heart and try to win her back. Isn't that so beautiful? When we were youth pastors, probably about 10 years ago now, right? We're a lot younger. My favorite scripture for the um, remnant, actually, is what we call the youth group. It was Romans 8, 19. And it's the scripture verse that says, For all of creation is waiting and yearning for the time when the children of God will be revealed. Will we show up as a child of God today? Think about that. Everything you're doing whether it's showing up to your family or your friends or your workplace or projects that you have, are you showing up as a child of God? Are you showing up affirmed in the identity that Jesus paid a high price for to give you? Because that will change the world. That will literally change the world when we all show up like this. I'm going to ask Diane to come. She has a word, and I just felt like it kind of tied all the way in because the first couple words were remnant. And so I said, okay, Jesus, well, you guys need to hear this. And then, Adrian, would you come up and pray with us? So, Diane, come on up, and she's going to share this word, and I believe it's, it's from heaven. I do believe that. And then we're going to pray for you. you got to come up here. You're too little. <laughs> You're not too little. You're just... You're, yeah, I'm stay little. up here. I'm little. I hear what you're saying. Uh, you're right. Come on up. This is too high. I know, I know. Do you want me to, do you, do you want me to hold it for you? No. Okay, all right. That word was, what you said was just so awesome. God is awesome. I, I, feel that that word awesome rightfully belongs to him. So um, God gives me downloads in me, especially during um, Bible study at Sue's Replenish and on Mondays. And sometimes he's very specific to some people. He speaks to everybody, but some he's very specific. To me, he speaks basically to his people. And which all connects. Everything connects. And this is what he said to me as I'm writing. Time has come when my presence will abound mightily throughout the earth. It will start in my people first, my chosen people, my remnant. You ask, 
Who are my chosen? Who is my remnant? Those who stand in relationship with me and who honor me and who obey my precepts. And most of all, those who walk by faith and not by sight. Those who acknowledge me as El Shaddai, God Almighty, the all-sufficient one, the one and only one who represents the whole universe, who said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion to rule in the midst of your enemies. Did I not keep that promise? Did I not? He's getting a little firm here. Stop walking in circles, never connecting. For confusion is not of me, for I am not the author of confusion. Stop. He says, stop. Stand still and know that I am God. Let self dis, disins, how do you say that word? Disintegrate. Like, yes. Oh, disintegrate. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And let me That's abound good. in your life. He said self. Mm-hmm. And I really believe one of the beasts is self, because you see it all in the world today. It's all about me, myself, and I. <clears throat> know me, for faith comes by hearing and hearing my word. It's the only way we're going to know the Lord, by hearing his word, by knowing his word, by getting into the word. So search me out, yield to me, and only me. Throw aside, or I should say, bury the invaluable and put on the valuable, mm. my son, Jesus. He is the one and only, the one and only that will bring light, that will make things clear. It's always about Jesus. If you're not hearing Jesus in a sermon, forget it, because it, it, it's about him. That will make clear in this dark and perverse world. This world is dark and perverse. For you are a city that sits on a hill, the salt of the earth, who will preserve this earth. We are. We are the city who sits on a hill. Who will make me clear to those who are lost in the world, but not lost in my heart. They're not lost in his heart, just as Pastor Mary said. Speak, speak, and speak. They need to know who I am and what I accomplished through my son, Jesus. Give him all the honor and glory. Praise him, because through him, all things were made. That's good. Thank you so much. That's powerful. I believe it went with the word that, you know, the message today that talks about, like, our identity. We know who we are. We know what we're, why we're here, right? And we have our face set on the truth of what God says about us. And that's where we live from. So would you stand up with me? We're going to pray for you and um, just open the altar for prayer. But Adrian, do you want to pray? Yeah. Yeah. Here. I'm just trying to do a couple things at the same time. <laughs> Father, we love you. We lift you up, we praise you, we give you all the glory. It is only because of you. 
We're grateful for your presence here today, and we listen to your voice. We listen for that defining moment. We embrace the wilderness. We know that there alone we can hear your voice clearly telling us we are sons and daughters loved by you. Father, I pray blessings over the families. I pray that you would just touch each individual's life, that the men here would have broad shoulders over the week, <laughs> carrying the load that would become on them. Father, we give you glory for just the amount of love that we feel from this family. We're grateful for you. In your precious name, amen. 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 If you need prayer today, come up here and let us pray for you. And um, you're dismissed, but we'd love to worship with you for a few minutes. <laughs>